Well, hello and happy Mother's Day weekend. Well, at first I thought, how can I best honor mothers uh, in, in our midst? And I thought, how about seven bowls of judgment from Revelation 15 to 16? But after a little more thought and some prayer, I thought, uh, how about something a little closer to home? So we're going to take a break today to have really a bit of a family chat. Uh, we're, we're gonna press pause on the series and talk about something that for me has been, and I know for many of you, has been highlighted and, and really, to be honest, heartbreaking over the past uh, year and a bit. And, and I've seen its effects on, on so, ma- so many of us that I think it's very important. And, and really, I wanna talk about the family today, about what it means to call ourselves the family as the body of Christ, the church, what it means to look like the church, especially in these days. Many of us know uh, what it's like to have problems in our own families, that's nothing new, and problems in the church family are nothing new. Uh, It was something that the first century church had to work through and something we as his church should always be aware of, uh, always willing to fight for unity, even in the midst of diversity. So I'd like to to start our time together today looking at a part of of a letter that the early church leader, the Apostle Paul, wrote to Christians in the city of Rome. Now, Rome was the center of the world at the time, the center of of culture in the ancient world. And so you can imagine it was a place uh, to have a church that was continually in danger and being drawn in to conform to the way of the world. So I want you to listen to these words of Paul in Romans chapter 12. He writes this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, uh, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And I love this in verse nine. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. 
Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. But instead, this is what Paul says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, (laughs) it's an interesting phrase, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I think this is an important word for us today. Okay, now I want you to think of someone who who is your brother or sister in Christ that you strongly disagree with. You might disagree with them politically or how we're dealing with the pandemic, masking, distancing, shutting things down, vaccination, whatever it is. It may be in your family, might be around the the dinner table, it may be at work, and for many uh, more and more, it may be someone you, you know and you've known for years in the church. For those of us on social media, you can think of those online who have shared strong views on political topics, on on their views of COVID, and you diametrically are opposed to to their view on the matter. Maybe you know them from from a distance and and they post things and, 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 and you sit at home and you mull over their stupidity and whether or not you should respond. So do you have someone in mind? Listen to the words of Paul again as I read from verse nine. Do you have that person in mind? Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Do you still have that person in mind? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone even those you diametrically disagree with. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Guys, my wife and I, we, we made a, de- a deal early in our marriage that we were going to speak to each other in a way that reflected the fact that we were in a covenant agreement. The word covenant doesn't sound very romantic, but, but romance doesn't have any real staying power without a covenant, covenantal idea, without an understanding that you are in for the long haul. That's what covenant means, until death. Well, that understanding of of our relationship has played a part in every disagreement and offer of forgiveness and grace that we have experienced in our marriage. Because the fact that we are in covenant, that we've signed up for the full extent of our lives, means that what I say to her in this moment, I have to live with in five minutes, in five years, and God willing, five decades. So how we frame our relationship fuels our, our behavior in the moment. 
And so we have done our best to, to have a, a bad memory when it comes to ways we've been hurt or felt slighted. My wife is, is quick to extend a hand, not only if she's hurt me, but, but more so when, when I've hurt her and I'm full of pride. The ongoing message being that neither of us is going anywhere, so we need to heal this because we're in this for the long haul. Guys, when anyone says yes to Jesus, they also say yes to his church, to his community. The way we talk to each other should reflect the fact that we are in covenant and we plan to sit across the table from each other when Jesus returns. But what we have witnessed, and and I think you'll you'll agree, is that the, the vitriol and the venom that you and I have witnessed when the world disagrees with each other has made its way into the church. So there's a few things I want us to reflect on in what Paul said. The first is this, the community of Christ is called to be transformed, not conformed. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Literally, he says, do not be conformed to this age, because that's all it is. It's an age. It's a passing age. Many of the battles I have in my own heart are a reflection of conforming to the way of the world and getting caught up in the the anger of this age and not being transformed and renewed in my mind. Paul says that through testing, a lot of the stuff we're going through right now, through testing, we will discern what is good and acceptable. But many of us have put discernment aside and simply taken on the methods of the world. That's what I witness. I think you probably do too. Often, testing in scripture is compared to a a refining fire. It heats up metal, um, melts it so that the useless impurities, what's called dross, is removed from the metal and it floats to the top and it can be taken out. Well, I'll say in the past few years in, in politics, in the pandemic, The heat has been turned up (laughs) and many things have risen to the surface that are not so pleasing and and pull away from purity. I never knew a year and a half ago that I was going to be pressed for an opinion on masks, that I was going to be pressed for an opinion on social distancing. I didn't know a year and a half ago that I was going to be asked to to pick sides on so many different uh, topics. And I'll be honest, I, I don't like what's come to the surface in my own heart. I don't, I don't like the fact that, that my wife and I have different opinions on things that I have different thoughts on our current situation than, than others that I, that I love and serve with here at, at, at the church on staff. Fortunately, I know and love my family and our staff and, and have witnessed a real humility all around. But, but sadly, the default of many has been to take on the tactics of our culture rather than a renewed mind. And at times, I've had to have times of repentance and confession an ongoing visit to the cross to remember that my Savior absorbed abuse and forgave those who persecuted him. Guys, in a culture that calls for a quick judgment and shaming, we need to constantly allow the Spirit of God to do a work in us, making sure we are being transformed and not simply being conformed to the ways and attitudes of the age and not the rules of engagement of this age. So one of the questions that we may need to ask the Holy Spirit to counsel us in today is, am I taking my cues from the world when it comes to disagreement, or am I allowing these moments to develop the character of Christ in me? We are called to be transformed, not conformed. The community of Christ is also called to be humble and not heated. That's the very the very thing Jesus represents for us. In verse three Paul of Romans 12, Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Again, this is counterintuitive to, to the age we find ourselves in. 
where, where once the individual found uh, identity and purpose as a member of a whole, now we find frustration and anger when the whole does not turn towards us and conform and, con- and confirm what we believe as right. Well, that's never what we've been called to as Christians. Instead, although the church is made up of many ma- members, it says in verse 4, although we are many, we, we are members one of another. We are connected One of the great sayings of the church, which has been associated with with different people in church history and different denominations throughout uh, the centuries, is this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In other words, there are truths that that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, we have to agree on in the faith. Our need for Jesus, the centrality of the cross, his resurrection, the expectation of his return, those are essentials. But there are things that we are free to not agree on and have strong conviction on. And in those areas, the demand of grace is to be loving, gracious, and merciful, charitable. To have the mind of Christ, as it says in Philippians 2.3, where it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So maybe we need to be asking the Holy Spirit, where do I need to be practicing humility more? Jesus, help, help develop humility in me as I continue to look at your example. We should be known as those who deal with hostility and disagreement with humility. Well, it follows that the community of Christ is also called to be unified and not divided. One of the main characteristics of the early church was its diversity. And this is kind of what Paul talks about in verses 4 to 8 here. If we look at, at the group of individuals that started the church in the town of Philippi in Acts 15 and 16, we see a very diverse group. We see a slave girl come to faith. We see a, a Roman jailer come to faith. We see a businesswoman come to faith. And they gather as a community unified in Christ. Now, you would guess those three people and those that surrounded them and their families probably had very different opinions on politics, on Rome, on economics, especially in a town like Philippi. Philippi was considered like a little Rome. People were influenced and, and excited by the fact that they were like a little brother to Rome. They dressed like Rome. They spoke the language of Rome. They had the culture of Rome, the religion of Rome. They did all they could to copy Rome. Well, imagine the conversations not only in the marketplace, but in the church community about what it meant to be a Christian, which literally means little Christ, in that community. The powerful witness of the early church was that it was made up of extremes, but it was known for living in unity and love. And Paul constantly highlights this point. In fact, this uh, this idea, this fact of the early church made him giddy. He was always happy to point it out. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Writing to a church in Colossae, in Colossians 3.11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We look at the disciples. They themselves were made up of those who in in no other circumstance would they be together except that Jesus called them. One of the the joys for me of pastoring is seeing and talking to people with with completely different stories, different backgrounds and experiences that would not be unified under any other banner but the name of Christ. That is what Jesus died to create. That is what the church is meant to be, a community that stands in in counter-cultural unity that the world is attracted to. Some of us 
today maybe need to say to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me where I have been quick to argue and cause disunity in your church, online, in person, in private conversations. We are called to unity. And related, and lastly, I want to say this, as a community of Christ, we are called to bless, not bruise. Right now, this is one of the most countercultural things we can do as the church. Christ does this. Our focus on Christ does this. One, one of the most powerful witnesses of the early church was the fact that they did not fight over things that the world fought over. From, from the outside, they looked like a, a project that would never succeed with how diverse they were, and yet here you and I are. Our, fo- our focus on Christ and his, his work in us scoops out the dross and it brings unity that the world desires. Church, there's a way that the world does things that, that we do not do. There's a way of doing things that, that bruise discord and division. That is not our way. The venom that is spewed, that's for people who, who only live for today, for this age. As people of hope, we do not respond like cornered, abused animals. <laughs> That's what it looks like online sometimes. We don't take our rules of engagement from this age. The same church in Rome that Paul wrote his letter to, it, it had disagreements too. Political disagreements, cultural disagreements. Certain people in the Roman church in Paul's day had an opinion on, on what they should eat. Some had opinions on what day should be considered holy. Uh, many in the church uh, came out of Judaism and, and being in a, in a Roman society, they, they, there were different opinions on what should be considered a holy day. What were some of the things that the, the culture around them celebrated that they were okay to be a part of and what stuff should they stay away from? It would be like the modern day debate for some Christians over letting your kid dress up like Iron Man and beg for candy on Halloween. Some of you get heated just hearing that idea. And basically, Paul said, prayerfully consider each thing and take it up with God. And for others, if you are convicted not to do it, then don't do it. But don't throw your conviction on the non-essentials on others and use it as a tool for division. That is between them and God. He is our master and we answer ultimately to him. And regardless of whether you agree or not, he says in verses 14 to 18, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This is a a fundamental characteristic of us who have been blessed by Christ. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't, Don't associate, don't think too highly of yourselves, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Do you think we can pull that off? It would look different to the world, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Guys, our Christian unity is not based on the conformity of our opinions, but on our identity and worship of Christ. In essentials, life, death, resurrection of Christ, the sin of man, the need for a savior, and the surety of his return, we must have unity to call ourselves Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. Since the beginning of the church, we have revisited and reminded ourselves of the importance and foundation of those beliefs, and we stand together in them. Does that mean we we have no opinion on other things? No, but it means that we engage with each other and the world as ambassadors of Christ in the way Christ, who willingly gave up everything relates to the world. 
as those who are showing the world an alternative to tribalism and fear and anger. Guys, the world is not starving for strong opinions, and it won't be won by them. It is starving for the grace-filled, grace-filled love and unity that Christ calls us to. Jesus made it very clear when he was speaking to his disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. That's a self-sacrificing love. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are nurturing anger, and let's just say hatred, to be honest, in our hearts, because we believe and we hold on to the truth and someone else needs to get it through their thick skull, whatever is nurturing that in our hearts, it's not the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we wanna protect the unity of the church, we will be sure to eat from these fruits every day. <laughs> we'll be sure to remind ourselves of these each time we engage with our brothers and sisters on topics we feel very strongly about. Imagine if we had the mind of Christ each time we engaged on, on, on divided opinions. In person, how we engaged online with Christians and non-Christians, man, it would, it would put Facebook and Twitter out of business in a day. How many fires could be put out or, or kept from spreading if we took on the humility of Christ? It is what the world needs and it is what you and I have been entrusted with. And with Christ's example and his Holy Spirit, we're enabled to do it. Guys, with repentance and the help of the Holy Spirit, it will secure the unity of the church for our spiritual health and growth and for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus is our prayer as we th think through Paul's words that our love would be genuine, that we would hate what is evil, we would hold fast to what is good. We pray that you would help us to love one another with sibling-like affection, trying to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. And we pray that you would energize us to serve you in every arena, every arena. help us to be hopeful and patient even in tribulation, coming to you in prayer and, and taking care of those in need, whether it be physically or emotionally. May we be known for our hospitality even in the midst of disagreement. And may we be known as those who bless those who seem to curse us, who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, as those who live in harmony, who are not proud, and we pray that you would help us, Jesus, to live in harmony with one another, to not be proud, to be happy to associate, even with those we disagree with. And Jesus, may we not repay evil for evil, but instead with honor, doing, doing everything we can to live in peace with each other. Amen. God bless you, church. I miss you, and I love you.